Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. You're very welcome along to the Big Red Bench this Saturday. Ireland, what a performance, what a win against France. Moss Finn will join us to reflect on a momentous day in Irish rugby. Unfortunately, there was no joy for Rochestown in the Carnivory final. Selector Owen Buckley is going to speak to us post-game. It's Super Bowl weekend. Our friend Colm Cronin of the Irish NFL show is in Phoenix, Arizona and previews the big one. And I'm very jealous of Colm and rounding up the show we hear from Liverpool legend Steve McMahon all of that to come between here and 7 Very welcome to the Big Red Bench here on Cork's Red FM. Aidan Leahy here with you until 7 o'clock and a great show on the way. Before we get into it, uh, good news there on Thursday. Uh, 28,000 of you listening into us on a Saturday evening. Uh, thanks very much for, for all the support and for listening into us. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it was a big boost just to, to hear that. And also, more so for the, the actual sporting organisations, the players, the teams and everything that we cover. You know, it's bigger for them than it is for us, you know. And uh, that support that you're giving to shows like this uh, keeps the whole show on the road. So hopefully it bodes well for a big year in 2023 of sport, particularly here in Cork. Uh, plenty of sport to get to, obviously, locally, nationally, internationally. Um, at the moment, uh, in the National Hurling League, Leash and Watford taking each other on. Watford have just gone into the lead, 113 to 112, 39 minutes gone. Watford are actually down to 10 men in that one. At 7 o'clock, Keane Lynch makes his first Limerick start since April when they face Clare this evening in Division 1A of the Allianz League. Um, of course, Limerick will be looking to get back to winning ways after that huge win for Cork in Parky Cueve uh, last weekend. Uh, Celtic are 1-0 up against St. Mirren in the Scottish Cup. That's a fifth round tie at Parkhead. And, of course, uh, plenty of um, of Premier League action in the late game, of course, in the Six Nations. Uh, Scotland are taking on Wales, and Scotland have Wales uh, on their try line at the moment. It's Scotland 13 points, Wales 7 with 50 minutes gone. I didn't expect Scotland, to be honest with you. I thought it would be the usual Scotland, you know, big win over England, go out and lose to a poor Wales team the next week. But so far, they're ahead by six. Right, let's get straight into the Premier League action. And, uh, ooh, Arsenal fans, it's time to get a bit nervous. More points dropped for the Gunners. At the top of the table, it was Arsenal 1, Brentford 1. Here's Ian Beach. Arsenal 1, Brentford 1. Ivan Tony's headed equaliser means the points are shared. The Brentford centre forward had a simple task to put the ball into an empty net after a free kick went into the Arsenal box and the goalkeeper Aaron Ramsdale was out of position committing himself to close down another Brentford player in his penalty area. Arsenal had taken the lead through Leandro Trossard on as a substitute, his first goal for the club, a tap-in at the far post, but Brentford actually had the better chances to have won this game. Arsenal won, Brentford won. Yeah, and Arsenal are, are, are lucky because... Um None of the other teams seem to be getting themselves together to actually capitalise on the the points dropped by Arsenal in the last couple of weeks. Uh, But we'll see what happens tomorrow. Of course, United taking on Leeds in a big one. 
and uh, it is it is City taking on Aston Villa at half past four. So you'd be expecting City to get a win. Obviously, a poor loss uh, last week to Tottenham. And speaking of Tottenham, I just cannot understand this club. Leicester four, Tottenham one. Frank Watson. It's finished here. Leicester City four, Tottenham Hotspur one. No more than the irresistible home side deserved. They led 3-1 at the break despite having gone behind to a Benton Kerr goal. Replies from Mendy, Madison and Ian Nacho putting them 3-1 up. And in the second half, Harvey Barnes had one disallowed for a marginal offside decision by VAR but wasn't to be denied and added the fourth with 20 minutes to go. Slotting, Carl past Fraser Forster from the edge of the box. Spurs didn't really turn up. Leicester were excellent. It finished Leicester City 4, Tottenham 1. Yeah, just to bring you back up to date with the game in Port Leash. Uh, Leash are now down to 14 men also and Waterford are in the lead by a point. It's 113 to 112. A red card for uh, Aidan Corby of Leash for a high challenge. He was actually pretty unlucky but there's fellas outside the wire everywhere. I think a lot of people were talking about Davy Fitz's man behind the wire, behind the goals um, during the week but uh, I think the Leash manager has actually just been sent outside the wire uh, but uh, it's uh, yeah, a bit of a frantic one 43 minutes gone in Port Leash. Right, let's stay with Premier League action. Fulham 2, Nottingham Forest 0. Ryan Bromelow reports. Finished Fulham 2, Nottingham Forest 0. A gutsy display from the home side who've rediscovered their winning ball. Williams' goal started proceedings. A spectacular strike into the top bar, right hand corner on the angle. Forest gave everything as the second half came to a close. Peppered the 18 yard box with cross after cross. Dennis Fly wide from close range. Aurier landed his head. Picture perfect on a ball, but Fulham found a second later. Manuel Solomon sealed it, driving low into the bottom corner from point blank range. Fulham climb to seven while Forest stay six points ahead of the relegation zone it's finished Fulham two Nottingham Forest nil and Scotland have gone over for another try in their Six Nations clash 52 and a half minutes gone it's Scotland 20 Wales 7 at Murrayfield uh, right well Nathan Jones is doing himself absolutely no favours he keeps on drawing on this uh, this attention to himself in, in press conferences and He's a, it's a bit bizarre. He's a bit of a bizarre man to understand, but uh, they were 1-0 up Southampton. Wolves were down to 10 men, and they've managed to lose the 1-0 lead. It finished Wolves 2, Southampton 1, Alan Lewis. It's finished Southampton 1, Wolves 2. The pressure mounts on Southampton boss Nathan Jones, who just couldn't get the job done against 10-man Wolves. It was all going so well for the home side in the first half when Charlie Alcaraz scored the first goal of his career for the club. It got worse for the away side when Mario Lamina was sent off for a second bookable offence. But 10-man Wolves grew in confidence in the second half and they got the equaliser when Jan Bednarak bundled the ball into the back of his own net and then with just three minutes left on the clock Joe Gomez fired home the winner sending Wolves fans delirious and Southampton fans to the exit lots of boos from the home supporters at full time Southampton 1 Wolves 2 yeah uh, not looking good for Southampton and uh, Kevin Bizzunu <laughs> what a shame that he moved to Southampton this season you know because it looks like now it's going to end up in relegation and it just 
as as confident as as Gambazunu is this season is definitely going to start to take his toll uh, take its toll on him uh, Crystal Palace and Brighton played out a one-all draw Joshua Adudanker was there Crystal Palace won Brighton won for the fourth season in a row this fixture ends in that scoreline a thrilling game Solly March with his fifth goal in seven games meeting an Espanyol cross from the opposite flank Brighton gifted Palace the level up John James Tompkins heading into an empty goal after goalkeeper Robert Sanchez had dropped the ball. Alex McAllister had two chances to win it for Brighton in the final five minutes. A volley into the goalkeeper inside the box, the best of the efforts. It finished Crystal Palace 1, Brighton 1. Chelsea remained down in ninth place in the league after a one-all draw with London rivals West Ham. They took the lead at the London Stadium before their former player Emerson equalised for the hosts. Graham Potter's side also had a late penalty shot turned down for a handball against Thomas Suchek. The Chelsea boss feels it looks like the midfielder was trying to be a goalkeeper. I thought it was a good save. So um, you need your goalkeeper sometimes to, to get you the points. I mean, it's, it hasn't been given, so there's nothing for me to say. I think it looks like one of those ones that if it was given, I don't think it would have been overturned, but it hasn't been given, so I don't know. Yep, uh, so a lot of Premier League action, and of course ongoing is the game between uh, Newcastle and Bournemouth, and that is it. 1-0 to Bournemouth. This could be a massive result in the race for top four. Um, a win for United tomorrow would, would put them well safe at this stage obviously a lot to go yet but um, a win tomorrow against Leeds would be huge for United in terms of putting that gap between themselves Newcastle and Spurs um, it is uh, Senesi who's got the goal for Bournemouth on 30 minutes as it ticks towards half as it ticks towards half time there right big game tomorrow for Cork in the Alliance National Hurling League uh, Division 1A of course following up hopefully from a victory against Limerick uh, it was, it's a good test it's going to be a big test against Galway and to see what way they're uh, both shaping up Patrick Collins starting in goals Conor O'Callaghan Owen Downey and Owen Roach make up the full back line Cahill Carmuck, Kieran Joyce and Damien Catalan are in the half back line Brian Roach and Tommy O'Connell are in midfield Tommy O'Connell played wing back in Porky Cueve last week now moving into midfield Declan Dalton who started corner forward and got a goal great ground strike uh, against Limerick starts at number 10 Conor Lehan is centre forward with Sean Toomey starting at number 12 Cormac Bosang, Patrick Horgan and Shane Kingston make up the full forward line. Shane Kingston coming into the team to start after getting that winner, of course, against Limerick last week. Uh, Noel O'Leary, Sean O'Leary-Hayes on the bench. Also, Brian O'Sullivan is there from Kentark. Uh, Conor Cahillan, Shane Barrett, Luke Mead, uh, Colin Walsh, Brian Hayes and Sam Quirk, where he's number 21 tomorrow. Jerk Collins, of course, uh, the Collins brothers, keeping the, that number one and number 16 shirt tied up. Right. Let's have a look at this fantastic win for Ireland. They've underlined their tag as favourites for the Six Nations. 32-19. Fantastic victory over France. Two wins from two. They're the world number one. Defending champions France, of course, their first defeat of the campaign. And since, what, two years ago, I suppose. uh, Grand Slam champions last year. Uh, Spoke to Moss Finn after the game. Moss was in excellent form, as you learn. All right, I'm delighted to say I'm joined on the line by Moss Finn after a massive win for Ireland over France. Moss, I'm sure you enjoyed that one. Absolutely. It was one of the greatest days in the history of Irish rugby. From 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 the off, like, it was breathtaking stuff. You could hardly take your breath for the first 20 minutes. 
France were coming at Ireland, we were going at we were going at France. It was hectic pace. I don't know how the players even cut their breath. It was just a wonderful game of rugby. It slowed down a little bit in the second half, but overall one of the greatest days that I've ever witnessed an Irish team playing in. Yeah, like that's a it's a very big statement, you know, but I suppose this was, you know, build I think it's when Ireland live up to that billing, you know, it was billed as such a big game, Ireland the world number one. It's a massive test to see where they are, but like you said, coming through it and you're making that statement that it's such a massive day for, for Irish rugby and you think back in all those huge days, you know, Cardiff in 09 and beating the All Blacks, etc. So you you have this victory right up up there with, with all of those. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the series win in New Zealand was a seminal moment in Irish rugby, something I thought we would never achieve in my lifetime, certainly. But we now have the, the air of a team who was happy and comfortable in the position of being world number one. We're able to, to take that into matches and stand over it just like today, whereas before, after 60 minutes of going head-to-head with the world's best, like South Africa, England to a degree, New Zealand uh, um, and France, we would normally capitulate after 60 minutes. But this team has a maturity about itself. It believes in itself. It knows it's the best team in the world, and it can stand over it and deliver time after time. And that's why I'd be so hopeful going forward to the World Cup. Do you think that's the difference maybe between Andy Farrell and Joe Schmidt, that they seem to have a, a, a different psychology going into these games? They seem to be more comfortable in themselves. And do you think that's the difference? You know, maybe Joe was very intense, whereas Andy Farrell seems to be a very, not happy-go-lucky, but you know what I mean, that sort of good character. And, and uh, that, that seems to be a bit of a change in psychology. Maybe it comes from that change at the top as well. It does come from that change at the top. As Joe Schmidt was very regimental, and he... He, he, he did it by the rule. He, he always thought that Ireland could never play rugby like New Zealand, that they didn't have this innate rugby in them from birth where they could pass the ball or go into contact under pressure. He made rules and we had to live by the rules. But eventually we died by those rules, particularly in the last World Cup where he made some serious mistakes himself, for instance, by bringing not being Devon Toner there. But this appears to be a far happier setup. They all seem to be much happier in their own, than their own skin. Farrell gives them that freedom of expression and if they make a mistake that's fine but he reckons that if you don't recover from the mistake then that's two mistakes but he's prepared to leave them make mistakes and continue on and believe in themselves and like he has this wonderful ability to elicit wonderful top class performances from his charges because he gives them that freedom they're in a happy camp and it's a very difficult thing to do. I mean, you've 20, 20 yeah. Leinster players in the middle of a 35-man panel, and he can keep them all happy and rotate them. And if you've got a happy camp, then it punches above their weight, unquestionably. And he is that leader. He's the friendly leader type. People like him. People respond to him. And it's manifested on the pitch. This is, it's a 23-man game, as you could see, and the subs we brought in today showed that. And they all, they're happy to come off the bench. The fellas coming off the pitch are happy to come off the pitch. They go by what Farrell says, and it's created by him, and it's reflected in, 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 his, in his personality after the matches. And his whole, the whole ambience in the whole situation seems happy, and they're playing better because of that. Mm, Conor Murray um, had a very difficult week, obviously. His dad was involved in an incident. Uh, I think he was knocked off his bike, and uh, it doesn't seem yeah. to be too serious, but... Um, uh, he came out today and Conor Murray has kind of been written off really his, his career was yeah. written off by a lot of journalists and uh, former players and pundits and all of that and he yeah. in a very difficult week stood up for Ireland today and gave one of the best performances he's given in the century of caps he has 
I couldn't agree more. I mean, he's had over 100 caps for Ireland and people were doubting his ability and were surprised that he did so well in Cardiff, which is extraordinary given that he was the best come half in the world for many years and, you know, a lion two or three times. He, he, he's a great talent and we're trying to play this fast game. He can do that, but he's probably the best box kicker in the world and yeah. he has shown great maturity in the last in, 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 in the last two weeks. And again, it's the belief that Farrell has shown in him that gives him that confidence to come in and perform and that freedom to come in and perform. And, but I think the, the most salient point of everything is the, the, the impact from the bench. Like before we would have been in serious difficulty with the likes of Tyke Furlong and Dan Sheehan missing. Like Dan Sheehan and Furlong would probably be on a World 15 if it was picked now. But yeah. the two guys who replaced them, Finley Beelham and uh, Rob Herring, they did very well. But what I was even more impressed with was the two who replaced them, Ronan Kelleher and Tom O'Toole did exceptionally well. O'Toole in particular um, made four or five great line breaks when it really, really mattered. And it's, it's that strength and depth is where Ireland have come on an awful lot. And Farrell has done an awful lot in the last couple of years to, 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 to allow that to happen and, to, and for players to mature. And like When you can bring on fellas like Jack Conan and those two lads, Toole and... Kelleher then and the pack ups its ups the ante when France, when France came at them in the third quarter then that is a great reflection of the strength and depth of this entire squad Yeah you mentioned Finley Beelham and obviously everybody highlighted the loss of Tyke Furlong because of the, just the all round ability he has but Finley Beelham pulled off a very Tyke Furlong-esque pass <laughs> for that uh, Hugo Keenan try in the first half It was incredible like I mean you don't expect like long ago, you certainly wouldn't even pass the ball to a prop, but in the modern era, props have become better. But that was a sublime pass from him. He's obviously a thinking forward. Oh, he can scrummage and do all the bulk, the grunt as well. But he's got a great head on him, and it was wonderful thinking and wonderful hands. Uh, you know, if, if he had a number 12 on his back, you wouldn't have been surprised with the dexterity of the movement. But again, it shows you the way that this squad is maturing and the strength and depth of it. And Beelham is the fellow I admire the most because he's not a huge man by any means. Yeah, but he, like he, he makes up for it in ticker, and he he can stand up to the best of them. And that scrum wasn't bad today. Like we weren't going back, and we saw the size of the the fellows they were up against. Yeah. Like I mean, the fellow yeah. who with, who was sent off there for a, a yellow card for a while. He's twenty three stone and six foot four. You know, Beelham isn't half that size, and, and you know the fellow says to the the size of the fighting the dog, not the size of the dog. You know, absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah, and like Ring Rose then caps off uh, an excellent performance by getting a bonus point try, and Ireland could have had that try earlier. Mac Hansen was really close, pulled back from the line before half time. But Gary Ring Rose is turning into, I, I suppose, it, it, their Brian O'Driscoll esque performances almost from the centre, not to maybe go too drastic with it, but yeah. he's been incredible. Yeah, that's the biggest compliment you could pay him, like because Brian O'Driscoll was the greatest player that ever played in the middle middle of the field for Ireland, certainly, and possibly in the world. And, Gary Rose is, is growing into that. He's a very mature player. He can tackle. He made some huge hits in Cardiff, which were very important at the time in the game. And his try at the end there was fantastic. But he has a presence in the middle of the field. He's a pivot. He's pivotal. He can do it himself. And you know he, 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 can, always, he can stand up, even though McCluskey did that standing up very well today and carried the ball forward very well. Ring Rose and himself complemented each other wonderfully. But... Again, if there was a world team picked tomorrow morning, I'd say Ringwood would certainly be number twelve in it. And uh, not to not to maybe put a, not to put a negative spin on it, but do you think if 
if Ireland weren't to go and to win a Grand Slam from this position, would it be a bit of a failure? Um, it would to a degree, but I, I, I think the overall picture, which is the most important of the lot, is the World Cup. Yeah. I mean, we have we have had our Grand Slams. We've had not enough of them, and we've had triple crowns and all that. But the World Cup is, has been our nemesis. We have never gone beyond the quarterfinals. So, in the overall scheme of things, if we didn't win the Grand Slam, it might perhaps be better for us for motivation for the World Cup. Perhaps, even though I think yeah. we've matured beyond that. But the Grand Slam would be a plus. But the be on and, and the end all of this year for me is the World Cup. The Grand Slam, fine. It's ours to lose at this stage, certainly. But if we do lose it. I won't too many nights won't won't lose too many nights sleep. It's the World Cup I'm looking forward to. Yeah, and like like we said earlier, you know, if in teams gone by, if they did win the Grand Slam, they mightn't be able to process it correctly leading into the World Cup. Whereas this team seemed to be able to do that, and maybe this is the type of team that winning a Grand Slam heading into the World Cup would be it would be massive. And Andy Farrell knows how to deal with it. Exactly, and, and that, that is the point. Uh, you know, whereas before we would have said we don't win the Grand Slam, we go on and make the win the World Cup, which is what I was trying to say yeah, perhaps yeah, a ago. But, yeah. but no, the like we, we were mature enough to carry the the favourites tag today. I think we've been mature enough to win a Grand Slam and go into the World Cup and carry that as well. And 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 the other thing about that is that Farrell is young in his coaching career yet, and the players by the time the World Cup comes around won't be too used to listening to his voice, and and, and that will be a motivating factor. But yes, this. This group of players, going from 20, maybe even 30 players, has the maturity and the, the confidence, without being big-headed or arrogant, to carry the favourites of TAG into a World Cup and deliver. And maybe, perhaps, even the way the draw is going, like that we could probably meet France in the quarter-final, yeah. in their backyard, I think we pass this win against them in particular will stand us in good stead for such a clash. A lot, of, a lot of water to go under the bridge until then just before I let you go Moss big win as well last night in Musgrave Park for Ireland in the under 20s Twas and it's like rugby rugby can be very boring like some of the URC stuff there is very boring you know pop hit bang like it's all yeah. crash bang crash bang crash bang but today's match particularly the first half and last night's game had a freshness and an air of wonderful um, freedom is the word I'm looking for yeah and Ireland played with that last night and there was some wonderful performance particularly by the 10 I thought he's a lovely player a very very mature and but the way we were we were we were going ahead we were going behind we but we didn't die you know and we prepared to pass the ball from our own 25 when it mattered played a wide game got the ball early wide and it, it was a fantastic game and it was wonderful and it was great for Cork too in the sense, you know, we, we saw that again in the, in the park, as you know. Yeah. I know we had a great game with France and Musgrave Park and we came out victors to a full house. It was a wonderful night in Cork and a wonderful game to watch and the scoring was fantastic. It was great to win. Absolutely. It's been a fantastic weekend for Irish yeah. rugby. Moss Finn, thanks a minute for joining us on the Big Red Bench. You're very, very welcome. Yeah, an absolutely ecstatic Moss Finn there after that. A massive win for Ireland over France earlier on in the Six Nations. And it's Scotland who are going to get a second win on the bounce. It's going to be Ireland versus Scotland for the 
for the Grand Slam uh, for the for the Six Nations Championship at least anyway um, and it will be a Grand Slam decider I suppose 25-7 uh, Scotland leading Wales 67 almost 68 minutes gone there uh, Watford have eventually pulled away from Leash it was actually a fantastic battle they exchanged goals as well 223 to 214 Watford leading both sides down to 14 men Watford on the attack here in for the goal and it's a great save by the leash goalie. Um, anyway, Rochestown unfortunately wasn't to be for them in the current Ivory final today in Mallow. I was there myself. I was on duty for Munster GA TV on the stream. And also there, of course, for Red FM. Uh, 112-1-4 to it finished. Uh, St. Brendan's, the same Killarney, picking up a record-extending 24th title. Of course, Rochestown, their first final since 2015. Actually, the first Cork team in the final since themselves in 2015. Um, I think we were discussing on stream that it's been 2011 since uh, a Cork side has claimed a carnivory. Uh, title so it's a massive uh, famine to end in that regard and uh, hopefully Rochestown and all the other Cork schools are going to make a make a return to the latter stages again next year of course they defeated Bishopstown in the semi-final um, but the same just too good on the day you know it's so much experience and obviously it's back to back for them and they reached the Hogan Cup final last year and um, if they get that squad together as well they'd make a really good go of it for the Hogan Cup but like that for Rochestown that was the issue getting the squad together today they had so many injuries um, Michael O'Mahony and Harry Quilligan came on at half time but you could tell that neither were fully fit Brian Hayes Nemo Rangers man massive loss for them picked up an injury earlier on in the campaign and then Kevin Lyons uh, midfielder for them uh, picked up an injury during the week and that was a massive blow for them uh, Barry Kelleher then who started at number 8 picked up an injury midway through the first half uh, so they were really depleted and they gave a really good goal of it they got a goal from Sean Coakley uh, in the second half and straight away John Kelleher who we gave man of the match to for St. Brendan's from number 8 made an unbelievable run through the middle and buried it past Mikey O'Connell who was having a stormer in goals for Rochestown uh, but it was a game strange enough game a game that never really ignited is the way that we, we called it um, but look it wasn't to be for Rochestown on the day I spoke to selector Owen Buckley afterwards Alright I'm joined here now by Owen Buckley after the Carnivory final uh, commiserations Owen look at a, a, a 112 to 140 the final score here but um, look I suppose you're, you're proud of your players for, for reaching the final here and they gave a good effort Unbelievably proud of the lads to be honest about it um, you know we've had a load of knocks now this year but they've just dusted themselves down and drove it on and um, look we knew the, the task that was ahead of us today and like they just there was bodies all over the field at the end they, they couldn't have given any more um, um, any 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 little uh, any drop of energy they had was spent. Um, you know, we're just immensely immensely proud of the effort and the commitment they've given, um, and the way they've conducted themselves all year. Um, so on the scoreboard, they're they, uh, they're losers, but in our eyes, they're winners. And um, as I just said, we're just immensely immensely proud of the whole group. Yeah, you mentioned, of course, the injuries have been well documented leading into the game, and then that's compounded by losing Barry Kelleher so early on as well. A massive player for in midfield. Uh, James Burke came on, of course, uh, and did very well. But it was it was a massive loss so early in the game. Yeah, and I suppose, look, in fairness to to James, he probably might have felt a little bit hard done by not getting more game time this year. But I thought he was absolutely outstanding when he came in. Um, 
um, um, um, you know, and he he gave us a, a massive kick. There was no weakness at all when he came in, um, and that's been kind of the thing all year. Like we've had lots of knocks and lots of injuries, and it's always been next man up. So that's the way it transpired today. Um, probably got to us in the end. We probably ran out of a bit of steam, um, especially in the second half. But um, look, it is what it is, and um, we'll just go again now next year and uh, try and regroup. Yeah, conceding a penalty before half time, and then of course that goes wide. That can give you a bit of a lift. And then you went in five three down at half time. You must have been thinking, you know, two points in this. If we can just get an early score, like you know, this this second half is there for the taking. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Um, I suppose in, since the quarter final, we've always been the team maybe two points up. But I suppose two points down, you're still very much in the game. Uh, it's one kick of a ball, um, and we were hoping to get that bounce, which uh, the bench has provided us all year. Um, instead, it was definitely it was uh, Brendan's. In fairness, they got a foothold, and you know there was a period. The domination of them for the first 20 which really kind of put the game to bed um, but again look we rallied we got the goal then and um, you know, there was a ball coming in and I thought one of our lads was going to get it and that would have been back to a point but instead they got the they, the keeper made a great catch and they went down the end and uh, finished it off and, and that was it then Yeah John Keller scored a really good goal for Brendan's and it had to be because Mikey was brilliant to goal to Mikey O'Connell free you know he, he, I think we were counting on, on commentary on the stream and there was definitely six or seven goal chances where he came out and smothered it yeah. and uh, he was really really good Mikey is unbelievably cool um, would you believe I actually saw him score a point this year from play with his club St Michael's he came up the field he's very confident young fella and um, you know we're going to hear a lot more from him um, as the years go by hopefully in, in the with his club St Michael's and I think he's good enough to be representing Cork in the red jersey so yeah I think you'll be hearing a lot about about Mikey and it's not the end of the year of course for e. you still have a few games left to go yeah we just mentioned to the lads um you know, uh, we we've won a, a one Carney in nineteen fifty, and since then we've only won one Simcox. Would you believe? Um, so we just said like, there's a lot of football still to be played. Um, you know, and that's the way we're gonna we're, we're gonna dust ourselves down, and maybe get back to training next week, and we'll have a good old crack off the Simcox um, because the year isn't over yet. Yeah, Owen Buckley there speaking after the Kern Ivory final. Unfortunately, Rochestown losing out to St. Brendan's Killarney. Right, coming up after the break, we have our Super Bowl preview with Colm Cronin, and we're going to hear from Liverpool legend Steve McMahon. Don't go away. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. You're very welcome back to the Big Red Bench here on Cork's Red FM. Aidan Leahy here with you until 7 o'clock. It's one all at halftime between Bournemouth and Newcastle. Uh, Sinisi, as we said earlier, got the opener for Bournemouth. Miguel Almiron got the equaliser for Newcastle. Scotland thrashing Wales 37 with 76 minutes gone in Murrayfield in the Six Nations. And Waterford have pulled well away from Leash now to 28 to 217. The score in Port Leash in added time. All right, it's Super Bowl weekend. Here's Colm Cronin. All right, Arizona is calling. Colm Cronin of the Irish NFL show is on the line from the US. Our man on the ground, Colm, give us a feel of what the atmosphere is like over there ahead of Super Bowl Sunday. And it's absolutely incredible over here. Phoenix is hosting not only the Super Bowl, one of the largest uh, sporting events on the planet every year, but also uh, one a major golfing event. Uh, they uh, estimate that there could be anywhere up to a million extra people in the Phoenix metropolitan area this week. Town is absolutely buzzing uh, between the Chiefs fans, the Eagles fans, and the people who just have come for, for the golf. It's a sea of colour. 
and uh, just, uh, just people are, are everywhere. Uh, Phoenix has been really welcoming. The weather, I have to say, has been absolutely perfect. It has been in and around kind of 21, 22 degrees, uh, sun shining. Originally, they had thought there might be some rain on Sunday, but that is not going to be the, the case now, it would seem. So, uh, yeah, Phoenix and Arizona have done a really fantastic job of putting to, together two major, major sporting events and making it work. Uh, we, people have been able to get around public transport in Phoenix. I will have to say it's something that, you know, very often um, is maybe rightly criticized in American cities, but it works. The tram system works really, really well in Phoenix. And you can, we're recording this on Friday. You can feel the atmosphere begin to, to build. There'll be even more fans kind of arrive in for Super Bowl. Um, today, obviously, they'll be finishing up work and heading down for the, the weekend. So I expect it to get even rowdier. Yeah, and uh, I think uh, the the PGA as well are probably starting to sweat a bit because they had to suspend the the first round of the Phoenix Open. I think it got darker than they expected, uh, earlier than they expected uh, for some reason. But uh, yeah, it'll be uh, certainly a a hectic weekend in and around Phoenix. Um, I saw there on Twitter you met a hero of yours, Shannon Sharp, uh, during the week as well. I imagine you've met a lot of uh, famous faces from the NFL world. Yeah, I've been really fortunate. Shannon is my all-time favorite player and kind of a, a legend on and off the field. So the opportunity to meet him was fantastic. Been a great week for meeting Broncos, even though they have not been anywhere near a Super Bowl in quite a while. I got to meet Emmanuel Sanders, who won Super Bowl 50. Uh, I got to meet Jake the Snake Plummer, who actually went to Arizona State University. So it makes a lot of sense for him to be here. And I met with probably the best player on the Broncos roster currently, Patrick Sartain, yesterday. And uh, that was really cool. But yeah, look, it's, it's a veritable who's who um, of uh, NFL media luminaries, uh, former players, coaches uh, making their way around uh, Radio Row. Uh, it is the place to, to be. Justin Jefferson was in town, obviously, to get his Offensive Player of the Year award. You know, the, Patrick Mahomes is the biggest name in the NFL, uh, especially following Brady's retirement. And he's been uh, here all, all week. Um, but yeah, it, it, the NFL really does things on such a big scale. I mean, it is phenomenal to see this year in, let's say, Radio Row. And for listeners, like that is media center. Um, it's where people set up their tables with, um, you know, the, all the podcasting, recording, video equipment. And you will see people go around like Stephen A. Smith. His entourage must genuinely be 25 to 30 people. It was absolutely crazy when he was in yesterday. Pat McAfee has been his, doing his show live from Radio Row. So is Kay Adams. And um, yeah, just, just the, the guests that they get on. Um, you're, you're always trying to grab kind of um, a couple of minutes here and there uh, to see if you can ha- have, a, have a chat to them. But yeah, it's, it, they've done a great job in the convention center of kind of hosting it and again, making it work and making it flow really, really well. Yeah, it's actually, it's a great idea, to be fair, to have the NFL Awards in the same place, you know, you get all these, so many famous faces, current players, former players, former coaches, current coaches. You can grab them off for chats, preview everything. Like Jesus, from a GA point of view, imagine what that would be like. You know, week of an hour final, have everyone around. All you need to do is give a shout, get someone over to give their thoughts on the game because it's difficult enough at times. Um, but yeah, it's great. And also, just a quick shout out to Brian Dayball as well, who picked up uh, head coach of the year, which I called a couple of weeks ago as well. So uh, delighted. You did, you did. And in fairness, 
we were actually joking ourselves that it would be amazing to have something like this in the lead up to an Ireland final. And a great way to kind of get kind of the GA community and alumni together. Because again, it's not just of the teams that are participating. There are um, former players here and kind of hearing them put their thoughts on the issues that are kind of affecting the league. Imagine that, um, you know, you, if you, if you had a Dublin Mayo um, final once again, where you, you were able to, to hear from Morris Fitzgerald and Nicholas Murphy and, and various others, it, it would be pretty class. Yeah, yeah. Let's keep the Dublin Mayo finals to a minimum, though, if possible. Uh, <laughs> Kerry Corp finals, now that's what that's what we want. Uh, I think a lot of people would have guessed this Super Bowl lineup um, early on in the season. I think most people would have thought the Eagles were going to win the NFC, and they delivered. Uh, then the Kansas City Chiefs, I suppose, they were always going to be contenders, and when the favorites, Buffalo Bills ran out of steam, which was unfortunate, I suppose, in a way, they always looked like the most likely to come out of the AFC. So it is two of the best teams, the NFL. It's two offenses that have been absolutely on fire for the season. It should be an absolute scorcher of a game. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really do think we've got a Super Bowl where it is the, the two best teams. And in, in my opinion, I would say the Eagles are, are the best team. I know some people feel that the, the 49ers had the best roster. I know the 49ers themselves feel they have the, the best roster. And I would imagine if I was the Kansas City Chiefs, I wouldn't be too happy with the, the 49ers. They have lined up to take shots at Jalen Hurts this week um, between Debo, Brandon Ayuk, I saw Robbie Gould coming out this morning. I mean, the, the Eagles will be absolutely delighted. This is incredible bullet and board material. And if there is a team who thrives on being the underdog, who thrives being told you don't deserve to be here, it is the, the Philadelphia Eagles. So I can't imagine Andy Reid is, is too happy. Uh, your own Giants have had a couple of shots at the Eagles as well, as have the Cowboys. Julian Love, Every, yeah. Everybody is queuing up uh, to tell them that they don't deserve to, to be here. So... Um, they, they will be delighted. They thrive off of that. For the, the Chiefs, I mean, this is all about Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. You take away, you know, arguably WR1 in the league. I'm sure Devonta Adams would have something to say about that. Maybe Justin Jefferson as well. But to lose Tyreek Hill and to nearly get better on offense was quite something. And the Chiefs have come on strong. One of the interesting things, in I suppose, is the fact that the Chiefs have used the most rookies in the league this year. Um, the Eagles dead last in that. The Eagles are very, very experienced. So there's been a lot of talk maybe about the fact that the Chiefs have a lot of experience in Super Bowls. Um, but on the, the field, they'll have some guys who do, but they have a very young roster. The Eagles will have obviously a huge change from their last Super Bowl, but they will have some experienced players who have that there. The difference is probably on the, the sidelines, right? Andy Reid, 24th season as a head coach. Uh, he already has two Super Bowl rings, one as a head coach, one as an assistant, in Brendan Daly, uh, who actually spent time working uh, down in Cork uh, when he was in college. He did a, an internship and uh, spent six months down in Ring of Skiddy. He is a man with four Super Bowl rings, and they're going up against an inexperienced Eagles coaching staff. But Nick Sirianni has been incredibly aggressive and been very shrewd in his decisions. But that, to me, is probably where, you know, in terms of experience and inexperience, that is the, the glaring area that I would see. Absolutely. It's a massive contrast. Like Andy Reid, as you said, <clears throat> Super Bowl winner, like, you know, future Hall of Fame head coach, you, you would have to say, possibly. Uh, he's very well liked. Nick Sirianni, you know, first Super Bowl appearance, a lot, a lot to prove uh, to people. He certainly is not well liked. Uh, Julian Love, I think, to be fair, Julian Love, 
paid tribute to the to the Eagles roster, you know, and basically said that anybody like uh, Owen McDevitt once said to Pep Guardiola, anybody could have could have managed those guys. Um, that was that was kind of the point I think uh, the Giants uh, defender Julian Love was making. Nick Sirianni, uh, to be honest with you, I don't really like him either. I think he comes off very arrogant. Um, but look, you need those characters as well. But yeah, like you said, that experience, the contrast there, it is. Uh, it's huge. What other elements are there in that battle? What are the most other interesting elements there? Yeah, there are lots of elements. Uh, Sirianni, I, I think we've, we've discussed this much. He is the ultimate culture guy. Like, he is perfect for the Eagles. But what he has is he has developed a, a team ethos and, uh, like, they, they really play for each other. But what is, this is going to come down to the trenches, I think, Aiden. Ultimately, for me, this is going to be the uh, Philadelphia's um, defensive line uh, going up against that uh, Kansas City O-line. Kansas City's O-line fell apart in the Super Bowl a few years ago. They put a lot of resources in following that. They didn't want that to happen again. But what you were looking at is the Eagles have been really smart. And Howie Rosen has done a phenomenal job. 70 sacks in the regular season, second most of all time. Do the Eagles have the best four guys in the league, the starters? No, they don't. But do they have the best eight? Absolutely. And that is the difference. If you are the centre for the Chiefs, you're Creed Humphrey, and you think, oh, great, they're bringing in the reserve. I might get a break here. Who's the reserve? The Dantas can sue. He is just, he's nasty. He's in your face. He's going to stand on your toes. He's going to deliberately, you know, take advantage to um, fall on top of you. The Eagles have cultivated this. They again, this is their they they're leaning into that that image, and they exhaust you. They grind you down, and that's where the the Chiefs, as good as their O line has been, can they stand up to the relentless pressure? That is what the Eagles bring. That to me is, is what could ultimately decide it. What we've seen right from the Chiefs, uh, particularly in the say that San, the victory against San Francisco, laid on they were able to take advantage. The San Francisco D-line got tired. They weren't able to get them home. That shouldn't be the case against Eagles because they have such depth. So Batman Mahomes is really going to have to be at the top of his game. And obviously, when we're talking about um, issues, how how injured is that ankle? I, th- I think both he and Hurts are more injured that they are letting on. I think you saw both guys grimace in their championship game victory. And I think that could be a, a concern if either of them were to re-aggravate Mahomes' high, an- high ankle sprain is what it's labelled. I don't know if that's quite right for uh, Jalen Hurts. It's that shoulder injury. I think I think from what I've picked up over the last couple of weeks, a high ankle sprain is pretty much American jargon for a fracture somewhere in around her ankle. Like, so that's what he played through in, the, in that championship game. Like I said, both quarterbacks coming through injuries and like Mahomes, like going through that pain barrier against the Bengals. And when he needed to somehow manage to run, what was it, 15 yards did he pick or maybe 12, 13 yards did he pick up to essentially win that game. And obviously then look, the, the, the flag after it was, was maybe the, was the killer for, for the Bengals. But still like Mahomes just managed to pick that out of somewhere. And uh, from what you've heard, like, is he like, how is he more healthier than he was going up against the Bengals? Like, or is he kind of same situation? It, it, they're going to play it down and he's going to play it down, but he admits himself he's not 100%. And one of the things that the NFL does that's maybe very different to say the Premier League or, or um, the guys, you have to know if a player is carrying an injury. Now, you can be really vague about it. And as we were discussing the high ankle sprain, what exactly does yeah. that mean? Um, 
but you do have to note it. And, and he is. And the other thing that came out during the week, and doesn't seem to have kind of been picked up on, I was a little bit surprised. James Palmer said on TV, he had been out interviewing the Chiefs players and he noticed that a number of the Chiefs players seemed to be battling head colds. Now, if that's something that's going around the camp, that could be something to, to keep an eye on. I was surprised that more people maybe didn't pick up on that because, you know, that's just a nuisance, of course. But how many, if, if you know, 10 of your guys are carrying that into the game, it, it's less than ideal. But I, I do think, look, Mahomes is just, he's, he's absolutely incredible. Like, you know, what he can do and his ability, even in that last attempt, but, you know, like he had no protection on the line and he was still trying to make things happen. Uh, in terms of his scrambling ability. But I have no doubt that the Eagles are going to look to test that ankle early and often, and we will see um, whether it can uh, stand up to that. But look, with, with Patrick Mahomes in the game, no matter what happens, you are going into it with a chance. And when you combine Patrick Mahomes with Andy Reid and Andy Reid's genius, and to the, what the Eagles will face now is the best offense that they have faced this year, but also the best scripted offense. So for people who might be aware, um, teams will generally script their first kind of 15 plays. They want to get a look at what the defense is doing, how they're lining up, what they're doing. And the Chiefs are really creative. They run a whole load of different options during that opening 15 to 20 plays. They're generally really good and successful at getting touchdowns. I think they, that they'll be you know, really creative. They really want to test the boundaries with the Eagles this year, which has been so good and see what they're going to do. So the, the Eagles will need to withstand that and need to rebound from that if they do go down early. Yeah, and a big part of that uh, Kansas City offense, of course, is Travis Kelsey and his brother Jason is the Eagles' centre. Uh, they're the first of the brothers to face off on the field. We've had two brother coaches, uh, of course, Super Bowl forty seven, the Harbors. Um That was the blackout Super Bowl, wasn't it? Uh but uh, yeah, it's it's uh, historic in that end as well, and uh, they have a podcast together as well, I believe. Uh, yeah, yeah, they they do indeed. And their mother is here all weekend. She is wearing a half and half uh, jacket, in, and I'm not a fan of those half and half scarves that that you see now at Premier League games. Um, but I, I think I can understand it when it comes to Donna Kelsey, their mother. She was also the the first um, person to ask. Roger Goodell a question uh, he does an annual press conference during Super Bowl week she asked him would he appear on the, the Kelsey Brothers podcast and he agreed they're great both of them they're very different characters I think that's what adds to it uh, Travis is very gregarious very in your face um, whereas Jason is much more uh, laid back he, uh, he comes across a bit like that Galifianakis's character um, in The Hangover a little bit uh, especially with, with, uh, what, with what he wears very frequently, but yeah, they play off each other really well, and it's going to it's going to be fascinating to see um, kind of them uh, go go up against one another because they will they'll they'll know each other's traits a little bit. They won't be facing off directly, of course, um, but uh, they they will not, nonetheless. It will be very very interesting, and I just said the first time this has happened with brothers facing off on the field. Um, you mentioned that that defense is obviously going to be key, like the best defense will win essentially uh, that's usually the way with Super Bowls we know that the Eagles defence is really really good um, but it probably hasn't been tested yet to, to, to what it's going to be like uh, against the Chiefs offence um, on the other hand like the Eagles offence is really really good as well do the Chiefs have the defence that are to be able to cope with that? That's what's going to be so interesting to, to see because the, the Eagles offence is 
it's not just explosive, but it's varied. They can beat you in so many different ways. They, it's not just a, a pat, like they can obviously bring in AJ Brown. They have a great passing game. They have two star wide receivers. They have a great tight end. So if, if they want to pass, they can pass. If they, Dalen Hurts wants to take off out of the pocket, he can run. He, I mean, I, I think it's sometimes the scrambling ability is, is underrated and his ability to get yards, but they also have a really good running game and they kind of have a three headed monster behind what I would argue is the best offensive line in the entire league. Lane Johnson is a guy who's playing through injury as well. Um, and Nick Bosa tested him uh, early in the uh, championship game. Um, and Lane, But after that, Lane Johnson stood up throughout the entire game. You don't know what Philadelphia are going to do because their O-line dictates it. That could be one, one of the, the key factors. This, um, the, the Chiefs defensive front is really good. But they're, they're rookies in the, the secondary. That's where the cornerbacks, the young cornerbacks are really going to have to um, show up because uh, in A.J. Brown, who's been quiet in the playoffs, but the Eagles have they've had it easy. As you, you said, now they can't help that. You can only be what, what's in front of you. But they've handed the ball off so frequently. A.J. Brown has 22 yards and 28 yards in the two playoff games because they haven't needed to, to throw the ball I think they won't be able to run the ball. You know, they, they will need to score points uh, against the, the Chiefs. I still think they, they will run it a good bit because you want to keep the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands. But I expect them to throw it more. And A.J. Brown is the, the guy that they brought in, set a franchise record. I expect that he, uh, if the Eagles are to win, he will have a, a big part to play. Well, I'm going to have to push you for to, to nail down so your your colours to the mast. Um, call it. Who's going to take home the Vince, the the Vince Lombardi Trophy? It it certainly. We talk about games being uh, coin flip games, and I think this is a game um, where the the favourite tag has changed uh, on a number of occasions. With with Andy Reid and with Patrick Mahomes, they can make magic happen. And the 49ers looked like they were in control of the game for probably. 53 of the 60 minutes, uh, only for Mahomes to, to find Tyreek Hill and change the entire outcome. But I, I think the Eagles are better, are better rounded team. Um, I think they have very few weaknesses. And because of that, and because of the depth that they have, and because of their ability to run the ball so effectively, and to maybe not give Mahomes as many opportunities, that's what you want to do. You don't want Mahomes to have the ball. Um, I'm going to, to lean into the Eagles to win it, but back to Mahomes and Andy Reid could make me have egg on my face. Absolutely, yeah. Um, look, you're going to be there. You're going to be. I presume you're in. You have. You're in the stadium, are you, for the game? Yeah, we're in the in the stadium for for the game, and and looking forward to kind of the next couple of days building up to it as well. But yeah, the game on Sunday and being there and uh, the the halftime show and all the razzmatazz that that goes with it, it should be absolutely fantastic. Excellent stuff. Well, uh, enjoy it. Enjoy it for all of us that can't be there and uh, representing Cork in Arizona, in Phoenix, Arizona at the Super Bowl. Colin Cronin of the Irish NFL Show. Thanks a million. And uh, look, we look forward to talking to you again in a couple of months' time when things start getting into, start get rolling again ahead of a new year of the NFL. Thanks very much, Aidan. Cheers. Yeah, Colin Cronin there out in Phoenix, Arizona, living his best life on Super Bowl weekend. All right, let's finish up and hear from a Liverpool legend. Uh, I spoke to Steve McMahon a couple of weeks back there coming to the Cork Opera House on the 4th of May. I think Ronnie Whelan is coming along with him as well. Uh, so head on over to the Cork Opera House website if you want more information on that. Here's Steve. 
All right, I'm delighted to say I'm joined on the line by a Liverpool legend, Steve McMahon. Steve is coming to Cork very, very soon for a Liverpool legends audience at the Cork Opera House. Um, joining him will be Ronnie Whelan and Jan Mulby. Um, it's one that all uh, Liverpool fans around Cork will be looking forward to. Steve, I'm sure you're looking forward to coming to the Rebel County. Oh, absolutely. I I'm, I'm in. I love, I love Ireland and I've been to Cork a few times. Fantastic. And um, it's great that that we're, we're going and, and spending and telling a few stories between ourselves, and we have a good crack, of course, you know. Um, and it's well worth seeing. Absolutely, yeah. And two good characters as well on stage with you. Yes, uh, well, I room with, with both of them. To be fair, at some stage, Jan and and Ronnie, uh, and they were both nightmare. So. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, good, good, good lads. Great stories, uh, and as as I said, genuine. We love the crack. They're all. You'll really, really enjoy. It. It's brilliant. Yeah, and of course that 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 link is always you know talked about the link between um, between Liverpool and Irish fans as well. And Cork is such a massive hub of that. Yes, it is all over. I've never seen it. Uh, we used to always go to to Ireland for pre-season games and stuff until all the monies came in with uh, Asian and America and everywhere else. But but yeah, certainly Ireland is a hot spot for Liverpool supporters, and um, we do appreciate it. And they're still coming in the thousands to the game, so it's it's remarkable, really. Yeah, and uh, I suppose a different season to talk about, a different type of season to talk about this year compared to, you know, maybe the, the four or five years uh, gone past. It's not exactly been plain sailing this year for Liverpool. Uh, what have you made so far of the of the last, you know, five or six months of, of this season? Well, I'd be lying if I said I was I was happy with it because it's not. It's um, been very, very disappointing. The recruitment, I think, has been the big thing. Um, I don't think we've recruited very well in terms of our midfield positions. You know, that's been for 18 months now. I think people have seen the writing on the wall with the midfield situation. Um, and it's been crying out for it, but we haven't we haven't dealt with that, that particular issue. But um, in general, we can't complain. You know, I think Klopp has done a fantastic job. People are calling for his head. I don't know. They must be uh, from an asylum somewhere. But... Um, he does need a few quid. He needs to just get us back on 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 the right track again and see where we go. Yeah, and I'm sure uh, a topic that that may come up and well, it it may be dealt with uh, by the time uh, the fourth of May comes around. But the ownership of the club as well, obviously, is something that's very important. And we see with Man United as well that ownership situation looks like it's going to change soon. And um, Liverpool also up for sale, so that that could be another conversation that could be very different come come May. Oh, well, yeah, everything changes very quickly. I mean, that the Premier League changes, the managers change, ownership changes. So, by definition, it's a merry-go-round, and, and it's a uh, it's difficult to predict what what goes on in in, in football clubs because one minute is different to the next. Uh, you're also one of uh, one of very few people to have to have captained uh, both Everton and Liverpool I believe and obviously uh, a big change as well with Everton it's not been a, a fantastic season there on the other side of, of Merseyside but Sean Dyche has come in now uh, is that something that you're happy to see compared to the other candidates that maybe were lining up for that job? Well yeah I, I, I prefer Dyche than Bielsa I must admit I mean Dyche seems to be ready for a fight and, and, a, and a battle that goes on he's been doing that for a while um, he said Everton struggled 
this year. They've been struggling for 20 odd years, 30 years maybe. Um, so I think Dice will do a really good job. I, I, I believe that he's very much hands on. Uh, and. Yeah, I think Dice is, is the right fit. Yeah, and Sean Dice definitely is a character that that the fans uh, around that area are going to take to a bit better. You feel like he might he'll have that bit of better connection. Well, I, yes, I do uh, with the hard work and commitments, and I just feel as though he's got a two and a half year contract, which gives him over this season to try and get it right to keep Everton up. And if they do go down by any, I'm not too sure they will now with Dice in charge, but. If you do, you've got a man in charge who knows what it's all about. He knows he knows how to get promotion, obviously with Burnley. And, and so I, I think it's a clever move for Everton. Looking back uh, at Liverpool then, you know, it's um, I suppose Jurgen Klopp has kind of maybe had a bit of a crossroads for the rest of this season. Like, obviously, there's, you're still in the Champions League and like going and winning a Champions League would solve a lot of problems obviously it's a massive competition to win and it would secure that place for next season and it looks really difficult to task if you were to look at the league and dig in and you know go for top four That's it looks incredibly difficult with the amount of teams that are jostling for position for the top four at the moment what would in your opinion is is kind of knuckling down and focusing on the Champions League and going for a run there maybe a, a better bet than you know trying to secure a spot in the top four from, from the current position well you can't take that chance on either you, you've, you're on two fronts now so your bread and butter is your league position uh, cup competitions as we know anybody can win on a uh, uh, on a two-legged situation but um, yeah it's been disappointing in the league and I don't think we will qualify for Champions League through our league position so it is. Um, it's it's going to be a big ask, and whether we're saving our coffers and saving the money for the summer for a big attack on for Jude Bellingham, and but we do need players now. I mean, it's gone past the transfer window, so we can't. Absolutely, and it's certainly well come come the fourth of May at the Cork Opera House, uh, things will be a lot clearer. Maybe Liverpool will have picked up form. They might be in the latter stages of the Champions League and fighting for uh, top four as well. And certainly be interesting to see how Everton are shaping up uh, come that stage. Steve, thanks a million for joining us on the Big Red Bench here on Cork's Red FM. And I'm sure there's lots of Liverpool fans listening that'll be looking forward to seeing you at the Cork Opera House. Like likewise, well, I'm mean, looking forward to going and and um giving our stories and, and talking about Liverpool in the season and hopefully uh, we've picked up a lot since uh, since me talking to you. Cheers, thank you.